you know, I'm still, I'm still uh, getting emotional now talking about it. Six or seven belts later, grabbed from the scrum with a broken nose, two black eyes. How do people at the top of the game do what they do? And what can young players learn from them to help them on their own journey and help them achieve their dreams in the game? That's the question and this podcast will give you the answers. Welcome to today's episode of the Offfield Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international, now mindset and performance coach. And if you have not done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another podcast episode. And if you're out there and you love this podcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. That really helps because the more positive ratings and reviews we get, the more the different platforms say, hey, this podcast is helping people, people are enjoying it. Maybe we should show to people who have never heard of it before. And that way the podcast grows organically. Also, you can send the podcast on some friends and I would greatly appreciate that. As a player, Rob McBride got 37 caps for Wales and played with the British and Irish Lions also. His story is different to a lot of other players though. He didn't grow up in a big rugby playing area. And there's a quote from Theodore Roosevelt that I like which says, Nothing worth having comes easy. In this chat you'll learn a lot about commitment, motivation and putting in the work, what it takes. Shortly after retiring from playing, Robin was brought into the Welsh coaching team. He gives cool insights into how they were so successful during that period and also how Warren Gatlin created a winning culture. He talks about his style of coaching, how he keeps the players at Leinster engaged and gives some great advice in general for both players and coaches. There's also in this one a very funny story from the Welsh camp about a time that the selection process went wrong. A lot in this one. If you're interested in working on the mental side of your game, you can download a free visualization guide on my website, which is www.offfieldrugby.com. And you can also access it through the link in my Instagram bio, which is at offfieldrugby. Please make sure that you are subscribed or following the podcast wherever you're listening. And here's episode number 64 with Robin McBride. Dealing with money can be very stressful and especially with everything that's happening in the world right now and stock markets crashing. If you're not an expert, it can be difficult to know what to do. Sparks Wealth is an Irish financial planner and they are experts when it comes to dealing with finances and helping guide you on what's best for your situation. You can book a free call with Will now at Sparks Wealth on their website, sparkswealth.ie. Recently, a family member of mine did just that and was so happy they did so. They said Will guided them through everything in a simple, easy to understand way, no jargon, and it was a brilliant experience. So that's sparkswealth.ie. Sal's life. All good. Yeah, all good. Yeah, yeah. Day off today, is it? No, it's a different week today. Um, we got a Friday night match, so we've changed the week up a little bit to make it more look more like a working week. Um, 
So we we arrived back from Zebra with a long long journey. Um, we couldn't get out to there. Normally we we fly back straight after the match, um, but on this occasion we it was just impossible to do it. So we flew back on Sunday morning. Um, we got a game on Friday, so we came in on Monday. Um, we had Tuesday off, and then we trained today. We got a captain's run tomorrow, and then a match on uh, Friday night. So yeah, we were in today. I think we can get a bit more work done into the boys um, because you know Mondays are a recovery day to all intents and purposes. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> um, well, good, good today. So you know, there's there's a bit of change around with Andrew Goodman coming in as well, um, Sean O'Brien in as well. So yeah, it's got a different feel to the season already, you know. Yeah, and what are those two lads doing? So Goody's there with um he's taking charge of um of a strike attack, really. Um and uh yeah, Sean he's doing bits and pieces around the contact area, both in attack, defense. Um yeah, I think you know you can lean on on him with regards to his experience um, in other areas as well. You know, like seam defence from lineout, um, delivery from scrum, delivery from lineout. So probably needs a little bit more direction, you know, to make sure that he doesn't spread himself too thin. Um, yeah, but he's he's full of it. Obviously, he's comfortable in the environment, uh, having um, having been a player for so long uh, with Leinster. Um, obviously. Um, you know, he's quite iconic, really, in, in Leinster ranks. So for him to come back, I think it's great, you know. So, and Andrew Goodman, obviously, he he was uh, a player back in the day as well. So there's links already formed there. Um, you know, there hasn't been that much turnover in staff. So Goody's been able to sort of slot back in there pretty pretty easily. How did you find going from player to coach when you did it at Wales? Yeah, it was by chance, really, you know. Um, so I, I finished playing after uh, we won the Grand Slam 2005 and um, I had a neck operation. Um, worked my way back to some sort of fitness, but, um, you know, in the end, I thought, listen, you know, there's, there's more to life than this, really. Um, I've been in a pretty painful state of affairs. Um, you mask it, don't you, as a player? You you, you just look short term. You look at the next weekend. You look at the you know the following game, um, who your opponents are, and you, you're just on that wheel throughout the summer, uh, throughout the season. Sorry, um, and you sort of disregard, you know, some of the some of the signs are there that you're you're struggling, and you know. Um, but things are going well on the pitch, obviously, you don't stop. So that was the case in, in 2005, really. Um, but then after after I'd had the operation, um, like I said, I worked my way back to some sort of fitness. But I was at a stage in my career, like I was 34, I think, um, turning 35, and I thought, do you know what I mean? I woke up after having the operation and, and the pain was gone. And I'd be living with this with this pain and this weakness on my right arm for a while, um, and it was like just like uh, so thick, really. Uh, wasn't sleeping properly. 
it's mad, but it's nuts when you look back at it now. You know, I'm sure a lot of players, ex-players, you know, the same really, you know. Um, and obviously back in that day, it was very much a case of sort of strap it up, strap it up and go on with it. You know, not not that you could strap this injury up, but um, yeah. Um, and then in 2006, um, uh, after Mike Rudiger had resigned, Scott Johnston was the coach. Um, he stepped up and he asked me to help him out for the remainder of the Six Nations in 2006. So I think it was after the second game. Uh, I came in halfway through the Six Nations and um, just helped out, really. And and that was it. And then uh, Gareth Jenkins, who was my club coach with the Llanelli, uh, with the Scarlets, he was he became the the next Welsh coach. He kept me on for the summer tour down to Argentina, and uh, and he kept me on up until the the World Cup in two thousand and seven. So I sort of fell into it in many a way, and um, because you know those relationships with the players, they were already formed on a player to player basis. Um, just because I was there as a coach. Naturally, the dynamics change a little bit, but I didn't try and be the old, the all-knowing, you know, coach. Um, well, I couldn't be. They they knew they knew me anyway. So it was a case of learning on the job with with regards to um, a lot of the stuff, you know. Um, and he was in, you know, there were some great players in the squad at the time. Just using their experience uh, and their leadership qualities. Um, and just giving them the confidence to go out there and do things, you know, and and that was it, really. And I suppose um, over the years, obviously, with the turnover of the young players coming in, etc., you, you give them a little bit more guidance. But I don't think I've gone too far away from that type of coaching style, to be honest with you. Um, I tend to sort of walk alongside players and, uh, you know, try and suggest things. Um, encourage them and just try and get them to grow as much as possible um, yeah so no I was very fortunate you know very lucky I mean not not everybody gets the opportunity to coach an international level so for me to fall into it right from the word go and be given the given the time to to learn on the job um, Neil Jenkins he was um Exactly the same as myself, Freedom. At the same time, we both uh, sort of stepped up into it, you know. And um, I was there with Neil. Obviously, Neil is, is still there with the national squad. I was there for 13 years with Jinx. So it was a great experience, great learning experience for me. Um, so, yeah, that's it, really. I mean, you know, you're coaching the players you played with. Um, you'd have to ask them, really. But I didn't, I don't think I sort of, Change that much, really. I try and give him a bit of guidance. Obviously, Warren Gatland took over in 2008. Um, so that was a big change with regards to what I was used to. Um, he brought Sean Edwards. Um, and over the years, he, he just built up the team with regards to conditioners, analysts. Um, and, yeah, it was it was great to be part of that, that sort of era in Welsh rugby, you know. Um, it was a big, big learning curve. I mean, to hit the ground running with uh, with a grand slam first up, um, you know, guts. You know, people in in Ireland would know guts as well. Um, 
you know, very good with regards to just coming in, stepping in and saying, right, this is the way I want to do things. Um, and when you get success right from the word go, uh, and you've got buy-in from the players, and and that was the case with Gats. So, yeah, um, just extremely fortunate, really. Yeah, and what do you think it was, like, during that period, like, I often say the Welsh regions didn't do so well, or but yet at national level, you always were just performing so well throughout that period at that, those times. Um, a lot of it, like, in fairness to, to Warren, I think he was a big believer in if you get the environment right, then um, it pretty much takes care of a lot of the stuff. Anyway, so he, he was determined on, on building a no-excuse culture. So, you know, the players, they couldn't they couldn't fault the preparation, uh, the support off the field, the rehab, the recovery, the food. Um, there was just no, no excuse um, for not being able to perform. Um, so, you know, good people. Um, you know, Gats would always say at the start of every campaign, you know, family comes first. If you've got any issues, you know, come and see us and um, we get through it. And and he was true to his word, really, all the way through. Um, and I think the players like that, you know, they played the players uh, like having, yeah, knowing that they were in a place where they were going to be looked after, um, being given support, etc. Um, the other, his other mantra was, no other team in world rugby will, will work harder than us. Um, and again, that was that became a part of of everybody's mentality, you know, going to Poland on training camps. Um, just a real big push on that to get the players fit, you know, because when when you're fit, you make better decisions. Your skill levels are better. Um, everything's better, you know. So there was a big onus on that, um, and. St- you know, sometimes to the detriment of the rugby side of things. You know, as as young coaches, you you're eager to sort of have your own piece of the cake and you want to get going. So sometimes you were you were a little bit frustrated because you felt you needed a little bit more time in your area. But you know, fitness will will cover up a lot of those deficiencies um, for a certain amount of time, anyway. But um, yeah. Um, like being part of the World Cup uh, preparations, going to Poland, um, 2011 in particular, you know that was a big that was a big step up really with regards to players hitting different levels of fitness. Um, I personally have never seen anybody work as hard as as those players in those camps in 2011. Um, I think most teams under Warren Gatland have been there. I know he took Ireland there, he took Wasps there. Um, so I know some of the some of the Irish players talking about guy used to be. Um, I think he's still mentally scarred about some of the trips that he went there to, to Poland. Um, but we were there in, in uh, we were only there for a ten day block. So I, you know, I think Gats must have learned some lessons from from previous visits there. You know. Um, um, but uh, like I said, it, it worked for us, and um, I think it was quoted one of the one of the opposition players had said something. It was it was as if 
you know, when the Welsh players take the pitches, if they put a Superman cloak on, do you know what I mean? They just, they got that, they sense that feeling that we were, uh, we had that confidence, that that inner belief that we're all going to win. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, you know, again, it's something completely new to myself. Um, yeah, to, obviously Jinx was there, I was with him all the way as well. So, um, just great experience. And, um when you get the level of performance, um, and then on the back of of a World Cup, do you know what I mean? A lot of the a lot of the good work that we did carried us into the Six Nations, um, etc. So, yeah, you, you know, you learn lessons along the way. But um, in fairness to to Warren, for the thirteen years he was there, he started with a Grand Slam and he finished with a Grand Slam. Do you know what I mean? There's there's not many um, coaches that do that. Um, you know, just raise the bar really, and um, I think he, I think he, um, he, he fitted in well with the Welsh mentality as well, with regards to um, you know a lot of the a lot of the in Wales, you know, come from sort of working class background, etc. So he, he was able to sort of um, cut his cloth accordingly, really. You know, yeah. but it was a great experience. It was a great ride. You know, thirteen years, brilliant. Yeah, unreal. And what you're saying there about going to Poland and that and like the players full of confidence and pulling on the superhero cloak or whatever, when I think it's a great point there that when you go into those dark places in training, like you feel like a savage, you feel like, you know, you can do anything when you've been through that. Yeah. And you go through it together. Um, you know, just at the start of this pre-season now, you know, I just said, you know, how envious everybody must be looking from the outside in on the experience that the Irish team have had down in New Zealand. You know, they've created history. Um, and fortunately for a lot of those players from Leinster in particular, well, I'm speaking from, from a Leinster point of view, they're doing it with their teammates. You know, they, they play with week in, week out. Um, and when you get to do that with your teammates, when you get to experience that success um, with lifelong friends, then that just makes the relationship that much deeper. Do you know what I mean? So, and they all get on together. They, you know, they all enjoy each other's company. Um, so it's, it was a great experience for them. Um, and when you look back at you know tours or or championships, you know Six Nations, whatever successful ones. Um, if you've done it and you, you know, you've, you haven't really played your part in it or you've, you didn't really enjoy the experience because you didn't fit in, etc., then it doesn't mean that lot, that much to you. You know, it doesn't mean a lot. But when you get to do it with your friends um, and go to those dark places and overcome, um, you know, that's, that's, the, that's what rugby gives, gives anybody at any level. You know, that's what drew me to the sport in the first place, you know, um, because the nature of the sport is the best, it's the best game in the world, you know, with regards to um, all the demands um, physically, mentally on a player. Um, you know, there's so many variables in the game of rugby. Um, so when you go, th go to those dark places with your, with your teammates, you know, that bond becomes a lot stronger, you know, and, and hopefully from an Irish perspective anyway. Um, you know, they can build on the success they've had down in New Zealand now. Um, kick on in the autumn and Six Nations, and then, you know, that'll give them a great lead-in into the World Cup. Um, 
you know, ultimately that's where that's on everybody's horizons. So um, we just got to make sure that the players focus on this season first uh, before looking too far ahead. You know, um, yeah. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's it. That's simple, really, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? If if you if you feel a lot for the for the player either side, maybe you're going to dig that much deeper and you know work so much harder for each other. So yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. It's uh, it's nearly everything when you think about. Like, you know, I've think of successful teams I've been in the past, and you, there is that direct link: success and how close you are as a team. Yeah, you know, it's it's um, it's human nature, isn't it? You know, it's human nature that um, you never know when you're making a memory. They say, you know, and uh, when you when you when you're successful like that. Um, you know, you um, you don't take it lightly. You know, unfortunately, maybe players don't realize it uh, at the time. But you need to celebrate your successes because things can turn on its head so quickly. Um, you know, I'm sure in, in in Ireland, similar to Wales, you know, you're not up there very long, and if you lose a couple of games, then everybody's sort of pointing the finger at you and jumping on your back, etc. Um, so you just got to celebrate your wins, really, and uh, and make the most of it, you know. And um, that that tends to to feed that that hunger inside you, then to to want to go harder uh, and bigger next time. Um, yeah, for sure. And you mentioned there getting drawn to the game. Chat to you about like growing up and starting out playing youth rugby in North Wales and your journey from there. <laughs> No, you don't go there. You don't go that far back. Um, cigarettes and alcohol, first of all. Um, yeah, I had a, I had a bit of a um, a wake up call. I was sixteen years old, playing, just playing for, just for the crack of it, really. Do you know what I mean? And um, played in this one game. Um, they asked me to, to fill in as a front rower. Um, never played it before. So I just stuck my head in as a tight head. Um, and uh, they were winding me up a little bit, the opposition. And um, I mean, I'm even 17, I think, 17. Um, and uh, anyway, I didn't quite put my head in between the, the loose head and the hooker in this one scrum. And uh, pretty naively, you know, just thought that was it. But uh, anyway, six or seven belts later, got up from the scrum with a broken nose, two black eyes. Um, so it was a bit of a wake-up call. Anyway, it was in the in the uh, in the hospital, just uh, getting some attention, just to see if I was if there was any major major damage other than a broken nose or whatever. And um, a coach that coached me at mini rugby, Mike Griffith um, from Bangor. Um, he was he was coaching a, a team down the road at uh, Bridge, and uh, he convinced me to say, "Listen, when you when you come down there and just join us, do you know what I mean?" We'll, um, I was because I was in it for the wrong reasons, really. Um, and anyway, um, I, I started going down to Bridge and uh, working with Mike in the off season, working on my fitness. Um, there was uh, there was a hooker in the in the first team. Uh, Guy by the name of L LV Parry, um, bit of a rough diamond. Um, he had long block, blonde locks, 
Um, used to wear a headband like Rambo would. You know, he wouldn't cut the he wouldn't cut the tape. He'd have the things running down. So I sort of picked up on that and started mimicking him, etc. But um, yeah, he was. But he he was good. He was great to me with regards to uh, again training, just weight training. And uh, between the two of them, they just they lit something inside me. So um, you know that spark came from somewhere anyway, and. Um, I had one season there at seniors when I was um when I was 19 years old, I think, with with Manor Bridge. Um yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um it's the first time really start I really started enjoying rugby for the right reasons, uh performance-based as opposed to anything else. And enjoyed it. I enjoyed working hard as well, uh seeing how hard I could push myself. Um Mike Mike's worked with a few. Uh, rugby players from up there. Stuart Roy was another um, local lad who'd done well. He played for Cardiff Blues. Um, yeah, he won. He won Jones a flanker. So there was a lot of people who'd who'd been given under his sort of tutelage, you know. Um, and uh, all done in his spare time. Didn't ask for anything in return. Just that you know, if if you turned up to one of his sessions, you just give him hundred percent, and uh, and that's what I did. Um, so at 19 years old, got um, selected for North Wales under 23, um, and the coach Denley Isaac. Um, he's only recently passed away, unfortunately. Great man, great character. Um, he was coaching Mould, which would have been a step up uh, locally in North Wales. Um, he was coaching Mould Rugby Club as well, so he convinced me to to join Mould Rugby Club. Um, uh, you know, so it meant me travelling. I was working for the uh, electricity board uh, on Anglesey. So I was uh, in my third year of apprenticeship then. Um, so I'd be working as an overhead linesman, digging holes, climbing poles, um, putting electricity wires up. Um, you know, manual labour really, but great, great crack with the boys there as well. You're outdoors all day, driving Land Rovers around, you know, just having a... You'd be, you'd be working hard, but you'd have a good crack at it as well. Um, and then I'd be jumping in the car and I'd um, drive all the way to Mould um, twice a week, which was a fair journey. My father sometimes would, would do the driving for me just to take me there. He'd stay in the car when I was training and then he'd drive me back. Um, so I, that was a step up. And uh, then he'd come down from South East. Moved up to North Wales from South Wales, and um, he was an ex-hawker himself. So he taught me the, the sort of technical bits of uh, of scrummaging, some line of throwing, etc. Um, really give me the give me the confidence that I, and the boost that I needed. Um, and he said, "Listen, if, if you're going to go down to South Wales and try and make a, a go of it, on a, you know, with your rugby, then you need to go sooner rather than later because you know once you get to 22, 23." You're probably going down there a little bit too late, you know, because things will have moved on. Um, and that was the case, you know. So I think it was January 1990, 20 year old. Um, got a transfer with my work. So I moved to the Rhonda, to the Rhonda Valley. So North Wales, like I'm from Anglesey, the, the island, and um, Anglesey is a very Welsh speaking region in Wales. So it's very flat. Um, I speak Welsh all day, every day. Um, 
but after making the move down to the run the valley, like the run the valley, I mean, there's there's cars parked on both sides of the road. Um, there wasn't that much Welsh in there. I mean, it's they're all mining communities anyway. Those terrace houses up on streets, um, you know. So it's a different different culture for me, different environment, but so welcoming, unbelievably welcoming. Um, and that was it then, you know. I just um, my f- my first club was Swansea Rugby Club. Um, the coach that had signed me um, had left before I'd arrived, just after just after Christmas. And then Mike Ruddock took over in the summer. So Mike Ruddock would have been my first coach in Swansea. Um, so the, the amount of senior rugby that I played in North Wales was was limited, really. I mean, it was it would have been a season and a half with Mold with Mold RFC, um, but a great bunch of boys. The first sort of touch of professionalism in their attitude. I mean, we were still paying money. We were paying the club. We were paying. I can't remember. Say it was two or three pound for the for the away team to have food with us in the club. That's what it was back in the day. Do you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> But yeah, one of the first experiences I had was uh, they were playing a team from South Wales in the cup, and we met in the in the in the local pub around the corner for a for a slap of dinner before the game. You know that's big feed. That's how it was back in the days, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? But again, that it was the that's what that's what drew me to the game anyway. You know, just the um, the enjoyment and that bond. Um, Going through going through a little bit of bit of hurt, a bit of pain, you know, with with each other. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit sad in 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 the way it is currently. I'm not sure if it's common um, elsewhere. I think it is when we listen to people talking about how all the clubs are struggling um, across the different countries. Um, I you know I understand. Times change. Um, there's a lot of other sports available, social activities available. Um, but if you're not part of a club, then you, you don't get that feel. Do you know what I mean? Academies and and what have you, they give you something, but they don't give you everything. And um, yeah, to the detriment of the club. And I'm I'm very loyal to the club because the club game gave me so much with regards to being a more rounded person as well getting experiences outside of rugby um because you know the, there's life as well outside rugby and you've got to make sure you get that balance right and i was very fortunate that i had it all the way through my career yeah 100 and uh yeah i fully agree and during when you, your time that's the way it was and now as you say it's changed a bit but um do like yeah academy boys and that still still go out to clubs from leinster and but it I suppose the change of it with A League games and how does that work now? Yeah, no, they 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 still do, you know. Um, the um, I think the British and Irish Cup they saw that as a as a great um, great tool really to give boys experiences of playing against different clubs from different countries. Um, so it's it's a bit sad that that sort of fell by the wayside because you know people like Ty Furlong he'll still go on about when when Lancaster Ray played Ponty upon uh, a you know on Sardis Road and the crowd was there and you know they were chanting away just a completely different experience um, for Ty um, and and um, 
yeah, I don't know if that'll ever come back, unfortunately. Um, but, the, you know, the youngsters here, you know, they still play for the club sides. Um, there's a few A games during the during the year as well. So, um, you know, they do get that exposure as well. Um, but you need to be you need to be a part of a team as well. And you've been playing on a regular basis. Um, I've seen too many occasions, Black and Wales anyway, where they're in an academy. Um, they're not released to play for club sides. And then say it's say it's a British and Irish Cup as well. Um, it changed its format a little bit. Um, they'd be thrown together as a team on a Thursday night and be expected to go out and play against a Leicester A team that are, that have been prepared properly for the for the match. I mean that doesn't that doesn't lend itself to anything really, you know. Um, doesn't develop you as a youngster because. No relationships have been formed. There's no understanding, etc. You're going to hide into nothing, really. Um, yeah, so so that that didn't that didn't work. Um, but whereas when you played for a club, played week in week out, you've got that understanding already. You've, you've got that bond. You've got that that work ethic. Um, you know that cohesion as a unit. On different ages, you know, you learn from from your peers, and you know, you could be playing with a front row forward who's who's 33, 34. Uh, you've got a flanker who's maybe 19, 20. You don't get the mix of ages if you come through an academy system um, until you you know come out of the academy, and then all of a sudden you're into the into the senior games. So yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I haven't got all the answers, but I'm. It's just what I'm seeing with my own eyes. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting to say there, Tiger's in that, but like going over to Pontypridd, like they're a club, aren't they? And I've heard a lot about the Welsh. The Welsh clubs still seem very strong and the those like older clubs, um, Pontypool, Pontypridd, still seem relatively strong? Uh, no, they're struggling. No. Um, they're struggling, really. From what I can see anyway, you know, um, I mean, I've I've lost touch a little bit since been over here with with Leinster. Um, I'm not as in touch with the game uh, in Wales as I was, but um, yeah, hey, listen, um, the Welsh game was based on on the strength of the clubs. That's the backbone of the Welsh rugby. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's it's different. It's a different system to what you've got in Ireland. It's a different system to to Scotland. It's, it, it was a Welsh system. You know, I mean. Um, so we've got to be able to look at ourselves in Wales and, and do what's right for us, you know, and not try and follow another model, really, because when we ended up going to the four regions, uh, we lost a we lost a hell of a lot of support, um, as in supporters left the game, you know, because you're asking Pontypridd supporters to go and support the Cardiff Blues. Well, they're your arch enemies, you know your arch rivals, um, so a lot of yeah, a lot of people just turn their back on the game then, um, and I don't think they've ever come back. To be honest, with you, you know, I mean, even if you look at the the regional game now, it's very rare that you'll see a you know a half full stadium even, um, other than a derby or you know when, when a big team come to town. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know what the answer is, and again, I'm just. See the way I see it, um, but we need to we need to get that engagement back with the supporters. You know, um, 
that's what's so good here in Leinster. I mean, you go down to the RDS and more often than not, it's a full house. Um, you know, it's I know COVID has struck and everything and and you know that's changed changed a lot. You know, we're getting back to some level of normality now, but um yeah, that was that was tough. And I think everybody realized then how important the supporters are in the in the game because if you play in an empty stadium, it just there's no way it gives you the same sort of level of, of satisfaction or thrill or buzz or vibe. Um, playing in empty stadiums was tough work, you know, really hard work. Um, and I felt I felt for the players there, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be hard um, getting up for it even. Like, even playing a club game, if there's 100 or 200 people there at it, you can feel a bit of a bit of energy off them, you know, they're shouting and like everyone knows it, you know, it doesn't need to be 20,000. You can always feel that energy from the crowd and it must have been yeah. so hard getting people, the boys getting up for it or getting them up for it to run out in front of nobody. Yeah, exactly. It's a two-way thing, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You, you feed off the crowd, they feed off you. Um, but with that element missing, I was... And like I said, it was hard work. There's, there's, there's no other way of saying it. Do you know what I mean? Um, just really tough work. Um, but having said that, listen, you know, we, we were able to, to, to carry on with a lot of the, um, you know, work or, or what have you. They weren't able to. So um, we've got to count ourselves lucky in that in that regard. But compared to a full stadium, there's just no comparison. So I'm glad we're on the path back to, you know, getting a, a full season, hopefully, um, with, with good crowds and, uh, you know, just get that buzz and that, you know, once the season starts, as you know yourself, as a player as well, you know, once the season starts and you've got your first game under the belt, then you're looking at, you're back into the routine of looking at your next opponent. Um, your week has got the structure. Your working week has got the structure. You know what you're doing from day in to day out. Um, you know, you take pride in your work with regards to your analysis. You come up with new plans, new concepts, new ideas. Um, you try them out on the opposition. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's, no, it's an exciting time at the start of a season, you know, and uh, I think there was a lot of um, nervous energy, let's say that for the first game. I think there always is because you don't know. You know, you prepared quite a bit on the on the training field, but until you go at, go at it against uh, the opposition who who haven't been there, and obviously they've come up with with their own game plan and focuses on different areas as well to counter you or to attack you, then. Uh, yeah, but you know, thankfully we we had a, we had a tough one against Zebra. Um, you know, they they offered stern challenge in fairness to them, and uh, you know we were lucky in the end. So a lot of lessons that we need to learn pretty quickly because we got a Treviso team coming on Friday. Um, you know, they they've been buoyed by a great home victory against Glasgow. Um, so it's going to be a tough one again on Friday night for us. Yeah, and as I say, nothing better than being in season and going week to week. And I, lo I loved what you said earlier about um, the way you started out coaching is the way you kind of continued with giving players confidence when they're going out onto the field and kind of focusing more on that side of things. And something I find is, do you ever 
worry that say is like have I done enough as a coach like you say then go leading into a season like how do you know if you've done enough well I don't think you I don't think you do know until you've played you know first couple of games you know um whether you've been a little bit too ambitious or you've given the players a little bit too too much license or um the players are flat maybe from the word go because you haven't changed anything you know you you You've got to keep the players engaged. You've got to keep them um, being part of the process of learning, of trying new things, of being excited by a move that you've got up your sleeve. Um, you know, you've, you've got to keep them engaged in that process. You've got to keep on challenging them and, and tell them to challenge you as a coach as well. Um, there's nothing worse um, as a player when you feel confined by a coach because the coach doesn't believe it. No, don't try that. It's a little bit too risky or, or for whatever reason. Uh, you're shaking your head. Now you've had the experience yourself, I can tell. <laughs> um, but there's nothing worse as a player, is there? Do you know what I mean? They're saying, no, don't do that, you know, because um, it that's one of the things that would frustrate me as a player anyway. I don't like to be confined. You know, I wanted to, to do things that are maybe... Um, see, I can see an opportunity to do or, or, or whatever, do you know what I mean? Um, there's obviously a, a limit. You can't go completely rogue on a team. But, um, you know, in this day and age, with the, with the quality of players in Leinster anyway, um, you, you've got to give them a certain amount of licence to go out there and just play what you see, do you know what I mean? And just back their decisions. Um, and if they're constantly making the wrong decisions, then it's your job as a coach to, to help them make the correct ones, you know. Um, Give them the skill set, improve the skill set, the skill set, get out there and, and have a good crack at it, you know. Yeah, it's a uh, shake my head. My biggest frustration growing up and playing throughout the years has been coaches saying, don't do this, don't do that. This is your job. Just do this. Don't offload, don't kick, don't do that. And it's like, it's just so frustrating. It's incredible. And a player, like you say, a player can never, ever be near their best selves if all they're, if they're being kind of crippled with this, like, uh, nearly anxiety of like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Because then you're afraid to do anything in case mm. you make a mistake. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's anybody who's had, who's been fortunate enough to have children and been on a touchline watching their own children playing. Um there's nothing more frustrating as a parent um, when you're looking at the, you know, and you're hearing other coaches shouting off the sideline, you know, catch the ball. Well, <laughs> no, don't drop the ball. <laughs> just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's not coaching, really. Oh, good God. Um, but a lot of coaches, they get far too serious, far too young, these children, you know what I mean? Just let them go out and enjoy. Anyway. Um, that's, that's, that's another topic that is yeah it's funny as well to say getting too serious as well and like how do you find that like, I think sometimes I don't know I'm not such a serious person but like if I try to be too serious as a coach it's it's not you or you know does it have to be like so serious all the time <sighs> no no is the, no is the is the straight answer um that's one thing, and and when any, when anybody asks me questions or, or we go down this this road of of humour and etc., um, 
I straight away think of one player in the Welsh team um, that he just he was so so funny. He was a great player, great guy as well. Um, Bradley Davis, second row, played many times for Wales. Um, he's in, I think he's still currently in the Ospreys as well. Great character, but he's got he's got that Valley's humour. And you know, if you've been in the company of anybody from the Valleys in, in South Wales, uh, they've got a unique brand of humour. It's fantastic, um, really. And uh, do you know what I mean? Sometimes he could just kill he, he could kill a meeting just by making an off off the off the cuff remark. And he was one that if you tried to be too serious, you know what I mean? He'd be there just looking at you, just shaking his head. You know what I mean? As in, you know, um, I think everybody's seen the the is it the, um, the clip the the American movie clip is it Al Pacino I think who's who's giving the one about um, inches? Yeah, you know, it's all about inches, like big motivational speech, and the you know it's very American, etc. I remember Bradley telling me after one of the meetings, he said, "We we, we didn't need that. Do you know what I mean? We didn't need that inches. So you just watched that film with me or whatever, you know." Um, but he would. Like we would on a Tuesday be very awkward because on, on a Tuesday we'd normally announce in-house um the team in order to give them the best um opportunity to prepare for a weekend, you know, for Saturday. And then the, the team would be announced publicly on the Thursday. So anyway, um like it changed over the years, but at one stage you try and we say we'd have a 10 o'clock meeting where the team would be announced. So everybody be in the the one big team room down the bottom in the in the Vale Morgan Hotel, which where our base was, um, and everybody be around tables having breakfast, etc. And then you try and pick off one or two individuals who you knew they're going to be a bit a little bit disappointed or deflated by the fact they haven't been selected either to start or they or they are they're on the bench or the substitutes. Um, and there was this one one occasion in particular. I remember I was I was making a beeline for somebody. Um, I can't remember who it was, but anyway, Bradley Davis on the top of his voice, he just scrubs up. He, he just shouts out, "Quick, hide! He's coming! He's coming! Wrong McBride's coming! Get under the tables! Get under the tables, boy! Don't make eye contact! Don't make eye contact!" Well, that was the end of it. I mean, it was. Do you know what I mean? Everybody was just in a in a, an uproar of laughter then, really, and. You know, I mean, it wasn't long after that. I think we just said, "Listen, boys, we're going to name the team, and we'll pick up. If you've got any issues, we will pick up with you after." But, but no, listen, humour is never far away from from the Welsh boys in particular, um, and then one or two individuals, you know, in in their own category. Um, it's a little bit different to the to the. Uh, I don't know. You you know the Irish boys better than me, really, because you've been brought up here. Um, what would you what would you say? How much humour is there in uh, in Irish rugby? Yeah, there's definitely funny lads. Um, but when you're saying that, I played with a guy, Rodri Jones from the Valleys. He played Triorki or the Zebras was his team. He came over to Lansdowne for two years, and he was just hilarious. And like everything you're saying there, he was that person. And I we have the crack as well. But um, and there's definitely boys here and there, but. If you're saying that a lot of Valleys boys are like that, and the one guy I've experienced was him, and he was just so funny. So maybe there is that, I don't know, that area, that region. And ah, yeah, like he was just, yeah, great crack. But um, yeah, I think the 
I think that Irish, we when we grow up, growing up playing and stuff, as you go up to higher levels, you kind of think you have to be serious, actually, now that you say it. Like, you know, going into these different environments, there would have been no one, say, like, Irish 18s, 19s, 20s, like, cracking jokes and, like, that kind of... Well, maybe that's because the age thing as well. But I don't know, when I was younger, it wouldn't have been... You would have been like, we got to be serious now. You know, you got to be serious. And then one or two of the boys would be more comfortable. You mentioned Furlong there, but like would be making a joke here and there, you know, but I think from my experience, we all thought we had to be serious, but then it could be the age thing as well. So I don't know, once you're there and you've 20 or 30 caps and you're a senior boy, then it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned there, um, like when you're working on the lines and going back to play and how did you, um, so you were what, like 10 or 15 years working on the electricity lines as an amateur playing Tuesday, Thursday nights, and then turn professional. And all of a sudden you were a full-time rugby player. Yeah, I made a decision. Um, I was selected for the 2001 Lions tour and I had to ask for a sabbatical, so I had a year sabbatical. And then after that year, um, I had to make a decision really with regards to do I go back to work um, or do I, you know, go fully professional as it was. Um, so, you know, I was I was bending bending the rules a little bit uh, here and there to make sure that I was getting to training sessions, etc. Um, the boys would cover for me; they were pretty good. Um, so I had the last four years really. Um, I experienced that last four years as fully professional. Um, so it was one of those decisions, you know, that you look back on, um, you know, had I not made that decision, my life would be completely different to what it, what it is today. So I think when, when you make, when you make that decision, you, you've got to, you've got to back yourself and just go for it, you know? And, um, yeah, I'm still in touch with a lot of the electricity boys, um, yeah, I might meet up with them for for the breakfast and the coffee um, on the odd morning, you know. But <clears throat> the camaraderie there, um, again, that was I remember those times as some of the happiest times of my life as well. You know, hard graft, but you get through it. Again, you're working as a team. Um, there's an element of of trust, you know, etc. Because um, you're working with electricity at the end of the day, so you, you've got to trust yourself. You know, it's um, it's a very it's, if you do things properly it's not high risk but you're just dealing with electricity so um, but it was great yeah it was great crack and um, a lot of those values are something similar to to building an environment I believe in, in a club in a rugby club in a rugby team you know everybody's got their jobs um, you've got to have a level, level of trust and etc and everybody everybody's got a different skill set Um yeah, so I, that's that's my experience again working as a team. So um, yeah, they were they were they were great times. You know, I was experiencing that off the field in my work, and then you know, going training Tuesday night, Thursday night, playing on a Saturday. I mean, you think now you just wonder well, where did all the time come from? How did I manage to fit all that in? But you, when you're young, you do, don't you? Know? Um, well, you'd still you'd still know because you're still young. But, you know what I mean? When back in the day, um, like, wow, the amount of things I was doing, um, you know, I, I still, I'm shaking my head now thinking, how the hell did I manage to get all that in there? 
but um, but I did. And when you when you're young enough and you've got that fire in your belly, then uh, you know there's nothing that holds you back. Yeah, the fire in the belly, as you say, is a big thing as well. When you when you want something enough, you'll you'll make it happen, or you'll you'll make do. Yeah, the, the the best terminology I've heard for that is is um is an American. I think she's a psychologist, Ellen Winner, and um, she comes up with the terminology of "rage the master," and simply put, that's what it is. There's a rage inside you to master whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? You see young children on playstations or or whatever. They could be on, you know, uh, playing tennis or, or whatever. But once they've been been shown the game or or the skill, whatever, that's all they want to do day in day out. They've got that rage inside them, the rage to master, and that's, that's stuck with me. That has, um, and I didn't know that I wasn't aware of the term or, or anything at the time. But when I was going my late teens, early twenties, hundred percent, I had that rage inside me, rage the master. And if you couple that with a chip on the shoulder, then do you know what I mean? It's you're going to go somewhere. You're going to be successful at something. I think. Yeah, I've never heard that, but I love it. And uh, if you're anyways competitive, you can't walk away from it because you know, like when you when you start something, or you know, you just you as you say need to master it. You're like you can't. You you know if you walk away, you're a failure. If you don't go after trying to be your best, then I don't know. It's just what you won't be able to sit with it. No, no, exactly. There's another. There's another term that I only came across this this summer when I was reading a book, um, and it was a it was a mountaineering book, and um, it was just the it was written on the on the on the cover, feeding the rat, and quite simply put, the the rat is you. You're the, you're the rat and you just want to like it was a mountaineering box so say you climbed Snowden one year then you'd probably that you probably satisfied that rat inside you for, for a certain amount of time but after a while that rat will start eating at you again and you'll be thinking I need to get something bigger and better this time so you may be looking for another challenge bigger and better no it, it was never explained I, I'd never heard that terminology but when I read the book, and uh, it was it was just that that title, it just captured me. I just thought well, so many things have fallen in place here for me personally with regards to. Well, do you know what? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm too old to play rugby now, and when you're playing rugby week in week out, and you're feeding that rat every week, you prepare yourself and you you to perform on a Saturday, and then. On a Saturday, you go out and give it your best shot, and then the rat inside you is quite quite satisfied, especially if he's, if you win. But then start of the next, the start of the following week, and then starts to build up again, starts to build up, and then in the bigger picture, obviously, I imagine you know with the Irish boys now currently, um, they've come back from a very successful tour um, with Ireland to, to New Zealand, so I imagine that the rat inside them is pretty satisfied it was anyway you got the world cup coming so i you know on the, on the international front i would say 
they're going to get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier the closer that that World Cup comes, you know. Um, but they, they, we need to we need to get their appetite back for them. Um, they need to get their appetite back for this season. Do you know what I mean? So I think once you've got that, once you've got that drive inside you, um, then it makes coaching a lot easier. I know that for a fact. You know, you've got to be self-motivated. You can't expect coaches to motivate you as well. Um, so please, you, you've got to be self-motivated, you know. And uh, yeah, um, you can you can you can drive a team forward with all that energy. Um, do you know what I mean? And if you've got a point to prove, you know, as as we have listened, you know, we were all disappointed with the way that last season finished. Um, put ourselves in a great position, and then we just didn't quite get there um, in the in the final. And then, you know, the semi final, we we didn't we didn't perform at our best. But you know, we, we need to. Uh, this is this is the start of a different season now, so we need to get that hunger back in us, you know, and uh, make sure that rat is is uh, is hungrier than ever. 100%, I love that. And, yeah, players definitely yeah, need to be self-motivated, but I think as well as a coach, you, if you know players well individually, you can find something that you know will get them, that, that, that'll get them and that will get them firing again or wanting to prove you wrong or wanting to, you know, you'll... yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, knowing what buttons to press, you know. Um, I think all the best coaches know how to do that with different players, you know, in order to get the best out of them and the best out of the team. So, yeah, 100%. What do you do these days to feed the rat? What's, what's yours? I get on my bike, jump on my bike, and then I go uh, up into the mountains here. Um, go with Sally Gap. Um. Yeah, that that pretty much does the trick. Um, for a while anyway. I mean, the weather's going to change now, so I'm going to find something else. Um, probably, yeah, I don't know. Probably on a walk back in, inside, but um, I'm not a I'm not a big runner because I, I'm too heavy to run on roads or whatever. You anyway, do you know what I mean? That doesn't really do it for me. So. Um, I don't mind cycling. Uh, like I say, when I go back home to Wales, um, every time, every opportunity I get go back to North Wales, I'll, I'll probably get up Snowden and come back down. You know, early in the morning uh, when it's really quiet, when there's there's nobody else about. Um, yeah, um, that's about it, really. You know, I, I just do enough to take over, but um, yeah, small little small little things. Um, when you get to my age, there's not a lot else you could do, really. I still fiddle the fiddle. Um, thanks for your time. What a let's couple more. What advice would you give, say, an 18 year old player, a schools player in Dublin, or a Leinster under 18 player? Um, See, I was I was fortunate in that I found those three individuals that I mentioned um, that were willing to give up their spare time, and I, you know, at the time I didn't realize, I didn't think that they would get anything out of it. I mean, you know, why would you give up your spare time to to go and coach somebody 
or to go and train somebody to get fit there, etc. But having been in a similar position to those three individuals, now a coach, um, you do get something back. It's a two-way street. So if you're a young man or woman or girl, um, those people are still around that are willing to help because they get something out of it as well. So if you find those people, you know, don't feel guilty about taking up their time or whatever. Just, just enjoy it for what it is. Um, and just take as much enjoyment out of it as you can as possible. Um, you know, the, the those those type of people they're around. You know, they they are in the game. They're still in the game. Um, they're the type of people who, who bend over backwards just to just to see you doing well. Um, they haven't got to be family members. They can be friends, whatever. You know, I, I'm only speaking from experience. But my my sort of debt to those three individuals, I mean, that spurred me on as well because I felt a sense of um, responsibility of, you know, of respect for them in that I'm not going to let all that good work go to waste because the time they spent with me, I've got to give them something back. Uh, it's a two-way thing. So... You know, if if you can if you can find those individuals, and you you you'll know who they are. Anyway, you'll come across certain teachers that you've bonded with in school, um, or in, in university, or a coach in a club, whatever it is. You know, I would I would draw on draw on those individuals because maybe they're just waiting for a phone call or just a you know a text or whatever it is in this day and age. Um, you know, and maybe that's all the encouragement they need. And, and that's all they'll ask from you is, is your commitment and that you turn up when you say you're going to turn up. You put the hard graft in. Um, yeah, and that was, you know, looking back at my time at that age, like that rage inside me, um, very envious of anybody who's in a similar position who's got that rage inside them, a rage the master. And you just need to get two or three individuals around you to channel all that energy to make sure that it goes in the right direction. Um, yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. That's brilliant. And like having, yeah, like mentor, someone who believes in you is so, so powerful. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, you can go down the road of a rocky speech now, can you? You know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's a nasty place out there. You know, it's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how how hard you can get hit and keep coming back for more. That's what life is. And he's 100% right. Do you know what I mean? The amount of people who want to knock you down, the amount of people who say you can't do it because you're whatever, you know. Um, you're going to need help. You need help. Everybody needs help. You won't be able to do it on your own. So when the help's there, just take it, you know, and don't feel guilty about taking it either because you're going to give... You're going to give enjoyment to, you know, a number of people, your own family, your friends, your coaches, etc. They will enjoy the ride with you as well. So um, you've got a duty and responsibility when you get that support. Um, but if you've got that rage inside you, it's not hard work. It's enjoyable, you know, and you just enjoy the ride. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's a very fortunate position uh, that I was in, um, you know, and I just hope that, well, everybody really will, will, will experience that to some degree, you know, um, that level of support behind them, um, the guidance, etc. Um, 
because it, it sticks with you. It stays with you. It sticks with you the whole lifetime. So Danny Isaac, who recently passed away, I came across him when I was 19 years old. And, you know, I still, I'm still uh, getting emotional now talking about him. Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, 100%. And last one, uh, anything or what would you know now that you kind of wish you knew when you were starting out coaching? Uh, don't be, don't be afraid to say I don't know. Don't know, I don't know the answer. I'll find out, but I don't know the answer now. Don't try and make it up, because players will know if you're trying to make it up. They they know if you're if you're just making something up or or whatever, or you haven't done your research or you haven't done your work <clears throat> properly. Um, you get found out eventually. Um, and sometimes, as I did on many occasions when I fell into coaching, you know, in, in that first year, I said, boys, I don't know. You know better than me. You know, I've never I've never played in your position. So I'll go and ask. I'll find out. Um, but, the, you know, the other thing as well, you, sometimes you've got to trust your instincts as a rugby player as well. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you can't program, listen, you're going to do this move here, then you're going to go there, you're going to go there, you're going to go there, you're going to do this. It doesn't work like that. You know, for as many times as the coach says, listen, play what you see, play what you see is in front of you. You know, if that's, if this player is there defending you, then there's another option there or whatever. It's not a case of just learning your lines, just blindly going into the game. Do you know what I mean? You've, mm-hmm. you've got to... <clears throat> You got to be able to to make decisions, and coach can tell you everything, every event that's going to happen. You can you can suggest, and you can you can you can say, listen, either that or this, this or that is going to happen. There's going to be a decision to be made in this part of the move or, or whatever, you know. And you, you just train coach and make the right decision. But then you've got to get comfortable. The players have got to get comfortable with trying to think one step ahead and knowing. You know, right? If I'm faced with this, well, this is what I'm going to do. But it's not a case of just following the, uh, like a, a painting by numbers um, picture. Do you know what I mean? It's you just you, sometimes you've got to just get get good at making the right decision time and time again. You know, when you, you analyze, you look, you make the right decision. Um, yeah, but that's we say. There's nothing wrong in just saying, boys, I don't know the answer. I don't know what's going I don't know what it's going to be. Um don't don't try and be the all-knowing, you know, coach. Because uh, like I said, players will know if it, if you just try to make it up anyway. So I mean come I'm just be be comfortable with it as well, you know. There's a lot of stuff I need to learn again. So, you know, I mean there's um you got Andrew Goodman and, and Sean O'Brien, both new coaches. I'm sure I learned a hell of a lot from again. You know, it was great learning for me coming here um, from Wales, working with Stuart Lancaster, Felipe Contepomi, uh, Leo Carlin. Everybody sees the game differently. Um, and it's not necessarily right or wrong. Sometimes it's just it's a different way of doing things. Great. Yeah, 100%. Well, hey, thanks so much for your time, Robin. Been unreal chatting. Appreciate it. Yeah, sorry if the, some of the answers were long-winded. 
No, I normally tend to keep them down to one one word answers when I do uh, an interview. You're <laughs> very lucky there. Uh, cheers. Thanks, Emil. Yeah, no problem. Cheers for clicking in today. The importance or value in having a mentor has come up a few times in the pod. Two Champions Cup winners, Russell Earnshaw in episode 24 and Joe Van Niekerk in episode 39 also talked about it and a few others as well. Robin mentioned one of the big reasons why you need a good mentor, why you need help on your journey is because it's tough. You're going to get knocked down, you're going to have big setbacks, you're going to have very tough times along the way. That's just unavoidable. You can't do it all on your own. And I'll be honest, I when I was younger I thought I could. And I think sometimes when you're younger you think you can do it all on your own. And things can go great for a while, you know, but you'll get humbled. And a way that I like to look at this though with tough times or going through challenges is think back to a challenging time that you've had in your life so it was rough it felt awful but you did get through it and now as a result of that you're stronger and have grown from the experience so even though you didn't like it at the time I bet that you're proud of who you are now and the person you became through and after that challenging time so for me it's important to accept that tough times are part and parcel of life part and parcel of rugby part and parcel of whatever journey you're going on you can't have the good without the bad or the light without the dark so don't live your life trying to avoid tough times and kind of always hoping that they're not going to come because if you're living in that way you're not going to enjoy the good times while they're there and you know don't get me wrong there's you know hopefully lots and lots and lots of good times but if you're constantly worried about you know challenging times coming or trying to avoid them you're not going to enjoy the journey so I think it's just important to accept that they will come because when you accept it you stop worrying about it but when they do come then whenever that is and these challenges can come in many forms you can from a rugby point of view you can get dropped you can get injured or in life worse things can happen but when they do come remember that you've got through times like this in the past and view it as a challenge to overcome and as a training ground for personal growth because it's only through difficult times that you grow as a person when things are easy and comfortable you're coasting and you're ticking along but it's through those really tough times and challenges that 
you really grow as a person as a player whatever put it into whatever context you want to so view it as that as yeah big challenge that you need to overcome and that you will be better because of it as i mentioned at the start of the pod you can get a free visualization guide on offfieldrugby.com or through the link in my instagram bio at offfieldrugby i created that guide because it is something that a lot of players have talked about on this podcast about how important it is and has been for them in being their best selves on the field how important visualization practice is and it's a mental skill that is yeah really crucial i know myself when i was younger i didn't really get mental skills and it seemed so challenging and it seemed like so confusing and i knew that it was important sports psychology people called it or whatever i knew this whole area was important i knew that like really good athletes did it but it was just too confusing for me i was just like nah i'll just keep working hard and keep hitting the gym and keep just pushing hard and go out and run and do whatever i can and physical skills essentially but mental skills do not have to be that complicated so i don't know about you but that's how what my experience was this visualization guide will is very simple to understand it will lay it out for you you will be able to get going with it and if you commit to doing it regularly you can do it every day you know three four minutes you can do it every day you have time for that if you commit to doing every day in time you will see just how effective it is just how much it helps you and you know helps you feel more confident on the field helps you perform under pressure it helps you execute your skills during games but it has also been proven to physically improve your skills through visualizing yourself doing them and executing certain skills you actually become better at them physically and studies have shown that also i mentioned the website offfieldrugby.com if you want to work with me you can get in touch through there through the website or my instagram which is at offfieldrugby thanks mil for clicking in today please send the pod on some friends or into your whatsapp group would really appreciate that and also would you please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening that literally takes 30 seconds just leave one line let me know what you like about the podcast and some apps you can't leave a review you can just leave a rating out of five stars so yeah would really appreciate that my instagram tiktok and twitter are at offfield rugby if you want to connect there thanks for being here have a brilliant rest of your day cheers